G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guests today are the core of the dreamy, ethereal LA outfit, Whispertown. Listening to their new record, I'm a Man, is like taking a warm bath outside on the hills of Mount Washington, looking out over Highland Park, sinking into airy tremolo guitars, unsettling, attention-grabbing melodies, and grasping for a calm inner strength. Songwriter and producer Morgan Nagler is well known for her catchphrase, This is Bull Honky. And guitarist-producer Jake Bellows once described life as a distracting parade of pointless dancing and cultural randomness, all but impossible to negotiate. Guys, welcome to my favourite album. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Amazing introduction. Thank you. Tell me, what is your favourite album? Sugar Pie DeSanto, Down in the Basement. Now, before we start talking about this album, I was curious because I don't often have two guests on in an episode talking about one record. Was there a lot of back and forth between the two of you about which album you wanted to talk about today? Was this an album that one of you was really passionate about and the other one vetoed? Or how did that decision come down? There was discussion. <laughs> but this this record, we actually both discovered at the same time. Here at the house, we've got a nice hi-fi setup. And this record was actually brought over by our friend one night when we were having a party. And he put it on and we both just completely freaked out and we listened to it constantly. So it was definitely, you know, it was hard to decide because do we want to discuss a classic record that, you know, most people already know about or something weird that you can expose that has touched us. And I feel like this one's kind of in the middle. So when that friend brought the record over, did you steal their copy or did you go out and find a version for yourself after you heard it then? Our reaction was so enthusiastic that he gave us the record. That is a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> Were you familiar at all with Shukabai DeSanto before you listened to this, or was this a complete introduction to her and her music for you? Complete introduction. Once you started listening to the record, did you sort of go and hunt around for more info about her or to see if there was you know, further music you could get into or were you just sort of putting this record on over and over and over again to begin with? I think 
think a little bit of both, Jake. Did you look up information? I imagine that would be something you might do. Yeah, I did. I started looking to see if there were more albums. And it was like during that time, Chess and a lot of those companies were just doing singles. You know, everybody was putting out singles and then later would compile albums out of those. So everything was kind of like not exactly the greatest hits, but a compilation of those singles. And so we couldn't really find this was the only album that was like compiled that I could get a hold of. We looked for others, but we, we weren't able, I wasn't able to find any that I could that I could get. And knowing that we were going to talk to you today, I was digging a little bit deeper. And I think she's really interesting because for that time, she's also a songwriter. So she's got this crazy voice. And I think it was rare, especially for a woman back then, that you were also the songwriter. And so when she was signed to Chess, apparently they used her more as a writer for other artists. And she did... You know, she recorded a lot of singles, or they were calling them sides back then, but a lot of it was shelved, and they were, yeah, using her songs for other artists that they already had on their roster. So, as you just said, this is kind of a, a compilation record in a way, and it's it's an artifact of that era when the album wasn't the major release form for music. For you guys, like, you just put out a new album have you ever considered now that the sort of industry or the way people listen to music is sort of returning back to that era again, the idea of like just releasing singles or like releasing a releasing 45s with an A and B side and compiling them eventually? Or, or are you like in the mindset of the album conceived as an album is the way you want to release music? Interesting topic. Um, yeah, we have thought about that a lot. Actually, Jake had this idea several years back to do exactly that to release or what was the full concept yeah like i guess it was probably like in 2010 or something soon after my old band kind of disbanded or whatever i was still making songs and i thought it would be cool to create one song per month um kind of vibe and then kind of sell them as mp3s as you went and then at the end of uh, you know a year, you would see who had interest in an album, and then you could kind of order and pre-order the albums according to how many people you know wanted them. So you're not stuck with a basement full of records or something, you know. And also, you kind of get to sell the album twice um, that way. <laughs> I wrote a couple of songs with Kim Deal, and this was after Jake had already kind of had this thought, and she. She was doing exactly that. She released a series of seven-inch singles, just two, you know, two sides. And she released a whole, probably more than an actual album's worth. And anyway, so yeah, she tried it and it's really cool. It's, yeah, it's the Wild West in the music industry. But that being said, I still do really appreciate the art form of a full album and the sequence and everything we listen to almost exclusively vinyl here at the shack and there really is something to that this record obviously isn't in that category although it kind it it is to me because it's it's what i have and so it's the order that we listen to the songs in and i still do appreciate that well i guess well tell me if this is true or not that because when you first heard the record, you didn't have any context or background info on it, it probably did just play like it was a quote-unquote 
proper album when you were listening to it. Exactly. And does it change your perception of it when you listen to it now, knowing like these sides were all cut over, you know, a, a, a period of a few years and that they probably had some different players on each of the tracks because they were all coming out of different sessions? I mean, it's not really. I still put on the record and it... I mean, the playing's so solid. It's like, it, I don't know exactly who was involved, but it seemed like there must have been a, a really great house band um, in the chess-like stable, you know? It seemed like they were just destroying it. I mean, all these tracks, like, the guitar work sounds familiar to, from track to track. The bass sounds familiar from track to track. And, and the drums, too, really. So it's, it feels like a band. Maybe there were some different players here and there. I'm sure there were, but... They're all so solid. They're like inspiring. Got myself a ticket. Gonna board this lonesome train. I gave a man a broken heart and things be the same I'm leaving this town no use hanging round I may be wrong but we can get along and I'm going back where I belong This is a collection of all the material she made for Chess Records and for people who don't know that was kind of like the great Chicago blues R&B label that Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Etta James and Chuck Berry were on. And I'm wondering, I'm going to try and draw a parallel here and then get you to respond to it, because I feel like there is a very loose scene that you guys are a part of in LA these days. And it's kind of the closest thing I think we have now to the for lack of a better word, sort of hit factory approach to making records back in the day when, you know, someone who would be an artist at one point is playing on someone else's record or in the context of, of this stuff, you know, she was writing with Edda James and they cut a duet together at some point, but that kind of cross-pollination that used to happen within record labels because everyone was like a contracted to the company, do you right. see any kind of parallel between that and kind of just having a loose conglomeration of you know, stoner musicians who you're all mates with? I do, yeah. Yeah, especially having, you know, been around writing songs for quite some time now, I'm starting to notice, especially with this new release, just kind of the people that, you know, we've been friends with and been making music with at least side by side. It's kind of gone through phases, but right now it does feel like there is a community here in Los Angeles and and it's collaborative and you know we're playing songs for each other and like you were saying jamming and just kind of this free form kind of bringing back this this feeling of music being fun the business side has you know been going through so many changes that it's easy to get caught up in trying to navigate that but really it has absolutely nothing to do with what we are trying to do here so <laughs> I think having that having that community can help to bring you back to that place of, you know, just basic communication and playing music, which is, you know, what we're trying to do. 
Etta James. Yeah. Uh, so I I think Etta James was maybe her cousin. I think like they were sort of cousins in the way that like a friend of your father's is an uncle. Like they were friends right. when they were kids and they were so close. I guess it's you know like you and Jenny maybe it's like they were it's almost like they had a sibling relationship or a cousin relationship but they were they were just friends and they sang together. Right, totally. So cool. And it yeah. I, there are there are similarities. That's a nice way to think about it. So is there a song on this record? Like we talk about it, it's an album and you can listen to it as an album, but it's also a collection of songs that were meant to stand on their own when they were initially released. For each of you, is there a particular favourite track on the record for you? In the Basement, for me, just immediately was... The feeling that it gives me is almost what I imagine it must have been like when, like, Snoop, first took the microphone in some <laughs> underground club. You know, it just feels, very, it's down in the basement. It, you know, it's got this underground feel and it just, it sounds like the best party that ever existed. If there was a sound that could accompany that idea, I feel like that song would be it. <laughs> yeah, we ran that A-side. I mean, we had a party over here for my birthday one time and ran that A-side all night. We never flipped the record. We just like kept moving the needle back and ran it all night long. And all <laughs> night people were coming through and just being like, "Who is this? I gotta know who is it." And they just everybody's just writing it down. It's like I'm gonna go buy this record. But both sides are just as strong. I don't know if that in the basement's one of my favorites, but I have a hard time picking a total favorite. Mama didn't raise no fool rules. I think she wrote that one too. Do I make myself clear as badass? I, I mean, geez, soulful dress is badass. I don't know. I, I can't pick a favorite, really. I really love this record, top to bottom. If I thought that one of them was a stinker, if I had to pick a stinker... <laughs> go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I guess... Um, I, don't like the, I don't like the title slip in mules. Baby, my red dress in the cleaner, but my shift is still show. Baby, my red dress in the cleaner's child, but my shift will still show. Yes, it's fitting, child, it's fitting. And it ain't the back that's cut too low. Babe, all these songs smell great. <laughs> I, I know, they're all good smellers, but but the title Slip In Mules, is, is there something disgusting about those words to me? So, you know, that's an opinion. It's not really, it doesn't really it's detract from the song, song value, yeah. It does sound like some kind of, you know, 
50s Chicago slang that has sort of fallen into disuse over the years. I'm not quite sure. What do you guys think that means? Flipping mules. It's like, you know, a mule is a type of lady's shoe. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Well, that's... Yeah, it might that... have a double meaning, but Jake's thinking sweaty foot, and that's why he thinks it sings. Perhaps. No, that's that's a great guess, but that isn't what I'm thinking. <laughs> I just think slip in <laughs> mules. I don't know. It's, it's disgusting. Um, so... But uh, the song's great, and so you just don't think about the title when it's when it's playing. <laughs> okay. Have you guys ever seen, either of you ever seen Shukapaita Santo live? Because she still performs. I think she's in her 80s now, but she still plays about. Um, I don't think she's quite as acrobatic as she was back in her day when she used to do backflips and stuff during her shows. But um, I, she was headlining some R&B festival a, a few months ago somewhere in California. So have you guys ever seen her play? I haven't. I would really, really love to. Yeah, it looks like maybe in the Bay Area would be the the place to catch her. We've got to plan a trip. Yeah, she lives out in Oakland, I think, these days. She grew up in California, obviously went to Chicago to make the songs on the record that we're talking about. But do you hear any California in her songwriting or in her, in her performances? I guess like the sound of the record is obviously very Chicago R&B, but as a almost lifelong Californian, do you hear any California in her? Well, now that you bring that up, maybe that is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to her. Also, just look, this sounds weird, but she was 4'11", and I'm 5'2". And I feel like there's also just a kindred, it's like an intangible kindred spirit, the same kind of thing, California vibe, small woman. That's what Little Women is about, right? Right. (laughs) In terms of the influence that this record or that she has had on either of you, I wouldn't say, I mean, listening to Whispertown Records, it's not a completely obvious Influence, but I'd be really curious to know what the influence has been on either of you musically. You know, I think it's, again, a bit of an intangible, but it's kind of that the underlying, which I was I was pleased to see that she is a songwriter because I think that while obviously that is not necessary to be a wonderful performer and have a wonderful voice, there's, there's something about the, the spirit behind it that is feels very genuine and very pure kind of straightforward feeling which is which is kind of what I attempt in my own music which is to just be genuine isn't the right word what's the right word Jake sincere sincere that's it 
in that way, I feel like another person I was considering whose album also, weirdly, is a compilation is Hortense Ellis. I don't know if you're familiar with her. is a, a was a Jamaican singer and kind of in the same way she's influenced me so much yet you know you wouldn't necessarily hear it stylistically but there's just something about that unfiltered soul to world element that is kind of what I identify with and what about for you Jack well for me it's uh, the rhythm element I think I don't know something about this record and at the time when I wa- when I got to discover this record when this when this one was first um, brought to my attention I was getting really deep into um, some old rock steady and reggae music and had just kind of had the epiphany that the bass is actually a drum and so then all of a sudden the bass started making sense to me i started hearing the bass as a drum and then hearing the rhythm section then uh drums and bass it's the same thing all of a sudden now it's like yeah the bass is just a drum that um can change the chords or the root notes of the the rhythm so i just felt like um jake played the bass on on the record and you probably noticed there's very little to no drums. We wanted to have a really intimate feel, but he was kind of using the bass as the whole rhythm section, and that's true. That was influenced a lot by this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that um, this music, and and I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's completely unique to Sugar Pie, but Sugar Pie was the kind of the inspiration and the initial exposure that made me really notice a few things about music that I had passed over so many times before. And so um, that's one of the reasons this record's special to me. Well, now that you say that, talking about the use of the bass as the, as the rhythm section in and of itself, and, you know, there being not that much, you know, in terms of percussion on the new record... I was thinking like a track like Free Faller that's on the new record. I could hear that, you know, if it was cut with a more conventional, like, you know, say like Fred Bellow, who the drummer on most of the chess record stuff was playing on it. I could hear that song produced in a way that would actually fit, you know, with these um, songs on the Sugar Pie DeSanto record. And I guess there's a extent to which a question of like rhythmic emphasis can change uh, the context in which a, a song might seem distinct or in a lineage with something like this record. The 
it's almost implied. It kind of allows you to go there on your own. Um, interesting. We just did our record release show and we had our friend Jason Bozell play drums on about half of the songs. And, you know, these were all songs that were recorded with no drums. So it was really interesting to sort of hear them in that way and see what he came up with. And it is implied. It's almost like they're there, even though you don't hear them. And it was cool to hear that come to life. So this record, all these tracks were cut in an era where you pretty much had to be on a, if you're going to make R&B music, definitely like you had to be on one of these big soul labels like Chess or Stax or Motown. And you were sort of at the mercy of the record brass. Like as you were saying before, she a lot of the songs that Sugar Pie DeSanto wrote, her versions didn't come out or they were given to other people. Right. How do you think you would have handled being in a system like that? Like if you were, you know, cutting records, you, if you were starting out in 1961 in Chicago in, instead of in 2004, I think, um, in California, how do you think your experience of that would have been? I could only imagine not that great. Um, I think, you know, I mean, actually, I take that back. I'm, I'm responding to more of the idea of somebody else being in control of what you're doing artistically and what also what you can even release. And I think that that is stifling for anybody. But on the other hand, if I was given the opportunity to play with a band like Sugar Pie's is playing with here and they were going to play one of my songs. None that... taken. <laughs> Jake. None taken. <laughs> he, he, the band. No, go on. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> if you had um, the opportunity to play with a great band, go on. Um, no, I think that would be so interesting and really fun and very different than what I would come up with on my own or with Jake, you know, to it's everyone's style is so different. And I have had a lot of experience like that playing with different people and kind of hearing how different a song can sound, you know, based on the players that you're playing with. So I think good and bad to answer your question. I think that you would do really well in that world. You're like such a strong songwriter. You're great at collaborating with people, other people, you know, like, I don't know, Jeremy, Yes. Have you ever um, tried to collaborate with somebody else writing a song? Uh, no, I'm not a songwriter, although we were talking before we started taping the episode about a house party we were all possibly at um, last year at Jenny Lewis's place, and there was a song that came out of a jam from that that I finished off recently, and I guess that would be the closest I've come to doing that. Yeah. Cool. That's rad. That's well, so awesome. It's really... Um, I it's it I guess it's both a instinct and a skill, but Morgan has both of those for like working with other people and being able to be creatively or creative and free with um your thinking rather than being more and more uh kind of inside yourself and concerned about whether or not what you're the things you're throwing out there are cool or whatnot. You know, I don't know. It's I think it's a tricky stuff but but I think that she would have done really well we were, in an environment like chess or something. Um, we were kind of talking earlier about, you know, what it is that in, 
um, that I take with me from an artist like Sugar Pie. And I was saying it's kind of that unfiltered feeling of just soul to world. Um, and, and to incorporate what you were talking about, which is jamming at your friend's house. It's interesting because, you know, you're just having fun, but then you took it and finished a song from it. And it's really, it's almost like psychotherapy to just have music being played and then just get on the microphone and just open your mouth and see what comes out. It's extremely freeing and yeah, not always easy to do. Um, but that that is kind of, that feels the the purest. But it's in, in a collaboration, often you can't really do that. Be- I mean, that's not actually true. You, you still can, but you know. You just become more self-conscious about it or something. Right. Um, when I was writing with Kim Deal, uh, we were actually in a basement in Los Angeles. And to start off, she was recording everything onto like a tape four track. So I would operate, I would press stop and play. And so one of the songs, she started off by sitting on the ground and banging on some drums. And she just played the drums for about two minutes. And she was like, all right, plus stop, press stop. So I did. And and then she put me in front of the microphone and said, okay, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> and we got an amazing song from it that I love so much. So I think that that is kind of the feeling that singers like Sugar Pie give me. And that is what I identify with. Which is the song that came out of that? It's called The Root. So, two questions to sort of um, wrap up our conversation. And the first one is, when you go back and put this record on now, when you listen to this, whether it's, you know, on your own or playing it for people at a party and having them come up to you and interrogate you about what it is, what's the experience like to listen to this album now versus when you first discovered it? Sugar Pie does not ever let me down. In fact, it's it can be a tool, like a mood elevator. If you're not feeling so great, you put that on. There's no way that you're going to still feel bad. <laughs> Never disappoints. Yeah, I think that that was also one of the reasons we we came to decide on this record is that it seemed like maybe there are even if there even if half the people in the world don't know about Sugar Pie, then just the opportunity to share it through the medium of your podcast or in, in any medium at all is awesome. It's like giving somebody like a gift that will um, give back to them for a lifetime. Well, that is one of the highest goals that I have with this show, which is that people will go out and purchase not just the albums of the guests on the show, but the albums that they've chosen as their favorite. So hopefully 
people will now go out hunting through record store bins and corners of the internet and pick up a copy of uh, this Sugar Pie DeSanto record. Yes. Yep. My final question is, when the hell are you guys coming to play in Nashville? <laughs> um, we don't have a date in Nashville set now. We're headed out to do the Southwest in October, but um, I, we do plan on making it to the East on this record cycle, so that will be great to see you. Hopefully you'll be in town. That would be great. Morgan, Jake, uh, thanks for talking to me today about your favourite album. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Now if you're thinking of leaving, you can do it some other time. Cause if you leave me pretty baby, don't you know you're gonna mess up my mind. Whoa, whoa, don't leave me. I need your loving so bad. I say you got the kind of That's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.